Another week, another Wednesday, another episode. Missed an episode last week, uh, right about Easter break, but we're back. Crescent Sports Report live. I'm Troy Schrader, your host. Back with Cole, Evan, Austin. Everybody say what's up. Hi. Hey, hey. How's it going? We're back. Uh, real quick, want to give a shout out to the Crescent. Uh, we're uh, hosted by the Crescent. And follow us on all of our socials, especially Instagram, Crescent Magazine. On Twitter, we're Crescent Magazine 1 and Facebook, UE Crescent Magazine. Go ahead, give us a follow. Active on there all the time. But appreciate it. Now, since we missed last week's episode, uh, quite a few things have happened. The national tournament happened in the men's NCAA and women's NCAA tournament. Um, the Masters started and finished. Um, the NBA playoffs have kicked off, and now the MLB season has also kicked off. We're about 11 games in, so love this time of the year when everything's going on. It's just a sports lover's dream where everything you could ever imagine is on, except football. But, I mean, you got the XFL for that, so we're just we're thriving right now. But, uh, like I said, NCAA tournament happened. UConn just absolutely thrashed everybody in their way. It was quite a quite a run by UConn, if I do say so. It felt like no one was close to them whatsoever. Every game, they just really dominated. I mean, even against San Diego State in the championship, they won by 17 points, and no one really even kept them close. It felt like a few times UConn, or uh, Miami in the Final Four game, started to bring it back a little bit, down 20 early, and few points here and there, like a few runs, get it back to within single digits, and UConn just goes and takes it right back. It was just all those big teams, high seeds being out early, UConn just benefited crazy. Um, let's see. I pulled the stats for that game. Sonogo, how about the, how about him, Cole? What you, do you think of Sonogo throughout the tournament? Most outstanding player? Uh, Sure. I – I don't know much about him. I didn't watch many of their games. All I know is that they won it for my cup. Yeah, for how about can we can we get an official statement on the cup too? It's doing good. It's doing good. Do you have that like frame now? Is it like in a vault somewhere, or is it just still chilling in the cabinet where you can like get some coffee in it or something? It's still chilling in the cabinet, and I'm gonna start using it a lot. Got to start with like it. let it sit and like keep the tradition alive of never touch the cup, and then it ends up. Causing a championship? No, I used to I used to use it in between their last championship and now. So I think if I keep using it steadily. So are you going to go buy like a uh, UNC cup? So that way. I already got a UNC cup. Or are you going to buy another one? Because now that you've called out the power of the cup and now it's alive and well, are you going to get a UNC cup? Didn't you say you were in a force call to buy a West Virginia cup? Yeah, I've been saying that. But he, he keeps claiming that, that if I force him to buy it, the magic's not going to be there, which I get that logic. So I can't say I'm going to force him because I would – if he buys the West Virginia Cup, I would love that. I'd go and throw down a little bit of moolah. So we need to force some divine intervention is what I'm hearing That's on Cole I so you can buy a West Virginia Cup. I think the next cup I will be buying, though, is probably Texas. Oh, my oh, God. Oh, that'll piss Get out of here. Piss Troy just off. fight Troy. Justin, <laughs> yep. Cole will be asleep, and I'll, like, be whispering at him, like, West Virginia Cup, West Virginia Cup. He's just, like, having dreams about it. He just wakes up in the morning. You know what? I think I'm going to buy it. Set a custom alarm for him. He has to wake up to that. Yeah. Just he wakes up to Country Roads. That'd be awesome. I get him to watch every single game. It's just on his mind. That'd be sweet. I'd love to see a West Virginia championship. If they ever win a championship while I'm alive, in basketball or football, I will get a tattoo. I've said it on several occasions before, but 
What will you get a tattoo of? Just the WVU? Um, or if, like, if it's basketball, I think you've got to get a Bob Huggins tattoo. If it, Yeah, if Bob Huggins wins it, then i got to get something with maybe, like, Huggins smoking a cigar or something or him on the lawnmower and, like, Bob Huggins mowed your ass down. Uh, one of those. If they beat Texas, maybe, like, it could be him burying a Longhorn. That'd be pretty sweet. Well, have um, him shoot it because West Virginia's mascot has a rifle, right? So have him yeah. just, like, taking down a buffalo. Or I could have our mascot shooting his gun, his blow- him blowing the smoke, and then it's the smoke is also Bob Huggins' cigar, double-meaning tattoo. That'd be pretty sweet. But, I don't know. Hey, we got time to workshop, but I think I've got a good 60 years until that tattoo comes to uh, reality. But, I digress. Well, I feel like we always get quite off topic whenever it comes to uh, college basketball. But, Sonogo, obviously quite a tournament. UConn's looking like a scary, scary team. They're bringing back a lot of their players next year. I think Sonogo comes back. I know that some people were saying he might look NBA after his run in the tournament, but you're a six-nine power forward that plays down low, and uh, you really don't have much game. I don't know how much that's going to – if you can't space the floor or have any other talents on offense other than the ability to score in the post, I don't know how well that translates to the NBA. So why not? Stay at UConn, get your bag, some NILs. Uh, he was just a beast. Couldn't be stopped all tournament. And then – Hawkins was insanely good. Jackson, he was actually a really damn good passer. I won't even lie. Like, people talk about Marquise Noel absolutely just diamond it up. Well, I mean, obviously, 19 assists in one game. But Andre Jackson Jr., he was, I'll tell you what, he had the vision. Like, bro had goggles on the entire tournament. There's some of those passes were nasty. He had that one come down the court between the legs so that dude in transition right behind him. Nailed the three. That was nasty. But, I don't know. Early prediction for next year, it's going to be – I feel like this happens every single year whenever a team wins the championship and they don't have entirely senior lineup. Everyone's like, they're going to win the tournament next year. But early prediction, UConn makes a run. I don't, I don't think they re- repeat because it's extremely difficult to do that. But, hey, I think it's a possibility. I like UConn. Next year, they'll probably be a second-round exit. Second-round exit. Yes. Bold. I'm thinking championship next year, North Carolina. How hard we, got rid of, we got rid of Caleb Love. We're back. How long did that take you to make the tournament? Because we had Caleb Love, and he's gone now. But you also made a final with Caleb Love. Tomato, (laughs) tomato. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But that was when he was good. He's not good anymore. He was bad last year. Hey. And now he went to Michigan and looked like they're going to be dominating the NIT again. So congratulations to them. Hey, no, no, no. First four. First four. First four. We should just give Michigan their uh, NIT championship now, right? I think so, yes. Well, maybe you can get a cup, and Michigan can win the NIT. You can yes. go. You can progressively go down do the tournament. I will do to, that. Uh, not next year, but the year after that, you can get a San Diego or not San Diego. What am I saying? South Dakota State, maybe a CBI championship incoming. West Virginia played in that one year, lost to Grand Canyon. It was sad times. I don't know why the fuck we even accepted the invite to that. I look, I'm like, West Virginia's playing in the postseason. How we are fucking terrible. And I look, it's a CBI. I'm like, we're playing fucking Grand Canyon. What the fuck? Just go home. Tell the players go to Cancun. What are we fucking playing in this for? And then we lost, and it was embarrassing. I got so much shit for that. It was unreal. What year was that? Um, Probably 2019. No, 2018. We had Jordan McCabe, so he was, uh, he was a basketball player. Um, pretty good at cardio, too. I uh, like what he does now, content creator and whatnot, but basketball skills leave a little to be desired, I will admit. Um, on to the women's championship. This was, uh, I feel feel like one that could 
put women's basketball on the map. Obviously, it's already on the map, but this was one of the most watched games, like just college games of all time, if I'm not mistaken. And it's definitely the most watched women's game of all time. Was it higher than the men's basketball championship in I terms of so. viewership? I'm pretty sure that this year's men's tournament was the championship game, was the lowest viewed championship game ever. Yep. That's tough. Which, yeah. it's it's so, it, like, it makes sense. Like, nobody knows a thing about San Diego State, and yeah. UConn's kind of, they fell off for a little bit, so it's not like they're our true blue blood. But it's really unfortunate that, As like, UConn fell off, though, ever since they won their first championship back in, like, 99 or 2000, they have the most championships out of any team. Well, yeah, I think he's just talking about the last, years, like, 10 they years. Left, they left yeah. the Big East, right, because they were, like, they just They're still in the Big East. Well, they came back. I think they left the Big East for a couple of years and, like, went to – like the AAC or something like that, and then they ended up coming back to the Big East because UConn was irrelevant for multiple years after uh, Napier left. And so now I think, like, recently they just came back or whatever, and now they're obviously pretty good. But it's really unfortunate because it was really good basketball. Like, it obviously it wasn't competitive necessarily when they played, but everybody always, like, if it was Alabama doing this to teams, this would have been one of the most watched games of all time because everybody wanted to see Brandon Miller and all this this high-touted team just destroy everybody, but since UConn did it, no one cared. And they had big names on their team. Like, Sonogo had been props all year. They were number one seed for a lot of the year. I just don't understand why people didn't want to watch this game because it was good. It was amazing basketball, So not just, like, big names. When the tournament comes around, everyone loves Cinderella's. But does everyone love Cinderella's? People go in, and they might pick their 11 seed to make a run. They might pick their 15 seed to make the Sweet 16. But then when you see Cinderella's continuously make their runs like they did this year, when you have FAU and San Diego State playing to get in the championship, and then you have a 5 seed and a 4 seed, which not many people know about, and it's the least watched game in championship history. So people pick that, but then when it happens, do you feel like it kind of leaves a bad taste in their mouth? It's kind of regret what they wish for? I'd honestly, and I'm asking you guys, would you count that towards because of how UConn dominated the teams that were, quite frankly, you could say they're better than SDSU, and how they just kind of manhandled them one by 15, 17, 20 points, that people might have thought it's just going to be the same. And, you know, they're going to win by 15, 16, and, you know, no contest, basically. Do you think that has an effect on the viewership? No, because I remember back at, like, some of those old Kentucky teams. Like, you look at the Anthony Davis team or the Carl Anthony Town, like, obviously that undefeated Kentucky team ended up losing. and But they had one close game against Wisconsin. They pretty much destroyed everybody else, I'm pretty sure, in that tournament. And let's everybody not forget was when West, them up. Let's not forget when West Virginia said they were going to make them 36-1, and one, and then we lost by 36 points in the tournament. E- exactly. So, like, that kind of stuff happens every once in a while. But I don't know. I don't. I don't really understand what the deal was with people not necessarily caring about this tournament because it was one of the most uh, like I honestly feel like it's partially the media's fault. Like I watch a buttload of sports shows, nobody talked about it ever. I remember looking back when like when Zion was there, media everywhere, every single freaking commercial had some college basketball part of it. Now nothing except for gambling. I think it also comes down to star players. When you have complete teams, you know that they're dangerous to make runs. But when you have like a Zion or someone like that that's going to be a potential number one overall pick, uh, people tune in to watch them. But Brandon Miller, obviously, he had some bad press, bad media coming into the tournament. They were an early exit. Zach Eady, player, national player of the year, 
first round exit. So you get those early players out, no one really tunes in for that. I mean, you look at the mock drafts incoming, number one and number two are Wembenyama and Scoot, neither of which play college basketball. So I think the fact that you have some players that are a little less no-name once you get past the round of 32 for the remainder of the tournament is not a good thing. I mean, it, it kind of puts some people on the map, which might be good for some of like the diehard fans where they come in like, wow, this guy's really good. I wasn't familiar with your game, but like you're a baller. But a lot of people are like, I don't give a shit about this game. I know one guy on UConn. I know no one on San Diego State. Why should I watch this game when UConn has just laid their nuts on everyone's forehead in every game leading up to the championship? That's what kind of what I was talking about. Just your point, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with that familiarity of not knowing anyone on the teams and you know just because you're you obviously watch the rest of the tournament. Most of the people have. And you see UConn putting up 20, 25 points like, of more than the opponent. If you don't know anyone, then you're not going to watch. That's why I think that's why I brought up this whole topic. Yeah, I think that there's a, a good correlation there that it was a, that UConn beating everyone definitely didn't help. But I, I think that say, say that there were a game like next year, the same, we have a five seed and a four seed, but these games are playing closer. I still don't know if that's going to be – a, like if it's projected to be like a maybe a one point game where everyone's truly has no idea who's gonna win, then you might get some. But if you have a four seed that has played really close games and a five seed played really clo- close games during the tournament, I still don't know how many people are gonna watch that. If there's no star players, you know. And I don't think anyone pointed this out, but I think that's just the obvious that both teams aren't like crazy big fan bases. So like in the championship last year, you had Kansas and North Carolina, arguably the two like biggest blue bloods out there. So their viewership was. Like off, like off the charts because there's so many people that genuinely like the teams that are watching, plus the like non-biased people in the middle just watching it. But this year, you have that same amount of non-biased people watching, but the amount of fans is like ten percent compared to what it was last year. So you're gonna see a big dip in like the viewership. Well, that's what I'm saying with the media is letting them down because Big East, no one ever watches the Big East unless you want to watch the Big East. Pac-12, no one stays up that late on the East Coast, so nobody ever watches the Pac-12, so no one's ever heard or seen anything out of them. All of those other minor, con- like obviously San Diego State's kind of different, I guess, but in terms of Big East teams, people don't really, everybody knows about them, like Villanova, Creighton, like, I mean, Xavier, I mean, obviously, like, certain teams were that good, like Seton Hall always seems like they'll make a run every once in a while, like those kinds of teams but they never get any recognition in terms of, like, national media stuff. So you can't ever expect those fan bases to grow because it's basically just the people that went there or the people that live near there mm-hmm. that are friends of those areas. So that's where I feel like the media really let down college basketball this year because they didn't try and hype it up as, like, a big story that we don't have blue bloods in this. Yeah. Obviously, UConn, I think, is technically. But overall, out of the four teams in the Final Four, having one blue blood, I, I, just, I don't know. Do you think that's the simple fix, is just having the media talk more about it? Is that the simple fix to, if this happens again next year, because we've talked about how, I don't want to say these obscure teams, but these smaller teams are making runs. Like, there's there's a good chance that this can happen again next year, where you have, you know, two, you know, I would say off-the-radar teams. I don't know, again, if UConn's off the radar, but you, you know what I mean? Is the simple fix just having the media talk about it, or is there something larger that maybe we're not noticing or that, you know, the NCAA isn't noticing? Two things. One, obviously, I think the media just needs to branch out and talk about, like, if you watch, like, SportsCenter, you'll never hear about any of these teams except for, like, five college basketball teams. And that's all you'll ever see. 
that it is what it is. Obviously, they have to cover literally every single sport, so you're not going to see a lot. But you listen to like first take or like basically anything on ESPN, you never hear about any of these other teams. So yes, the media needs to do a better job. Two, they need to do more of like Big Twelve, like or Big Ten ACC challenge. There needs to be a lot more of those kinds of things, and they, I think they should break up their regular season into where obviously everybody does like the Maui or the Atlantis, all that kind of stuff at the beginning. So then you can see all these teams. Like it was awesome to see Purdue play Duke and Gonzaga. We never played Duke and Gonzaga. So that was a really cool thing to see. Or like when you go to Maui, you could play, you could see teams from like literally all five power conferences and maybe a couple other ones that still put up a big fight. And it's just being able to see them play a couple times. And then when you get to the tournament, you're like, oh, I remember watching them playing that game at the beginning and they put up a fight against like a two seed. I'm. I kind of let's let's see what they do, and like you may in your bracket, you'll pick them to have an upset because you're like, hey, they won the battle for Atlantis this year. Like this team might be legit later on. I don't know. So, but it need, like I feel like they should almost put in more of those kinds of cross conference things, so that like obviously the big SEC, the big ACC, the Big Ten, the Big Twelve, those kinds of conferences, they don't see a lot of these other teams ever. So if they had more, especially the West Coast teams, so trying to get more of those interconference play things, I feel like it'd be a lot better because you just see them play, and there could be kind of weird rivalries that get made, and then all of a sudden those teams matter to a lot more people. Would you just have that on, like, one weekend, or would you actually, like, have, I don't want to say multiple, but, like, have them more spread out throughout the um, season? Because I think, was was the Big 12 SEC, like, the week before conference play? Yes. yes. So, like, Dumb idea. Would you have it in the middle of conference play? Just kind of a. So I'd still do the normal like big like the Big Ten ACC thing right before the season starts, but then maybe like halfway through the season, every team plays in every conference plays a team from a different conference just randomly, and you just throw that in in the midst of interconference play just because why not? I mean, it'd be cool to see kind of some of these teams that never play each other, and I mean you can get like obviously they do like the Michigan State, Kentucky, Duke. Kansas thing at the beginning of the year so you may see a lot of like those big name schools that just unfortunately never happen to meet each other in tournaments though they can start playing each other more and so you can start bring like UConn should be in something like that where everybody is tuned in to watch and UConn should be put on the national stage and they just weren't all year so that's like teams like that that are maybe even bigger name schools but are in lesser name conferences it just helps brand them a little bit better because they're just smaller conferences and can't do the branding themselves necessarily. I have two things. One to Austin's question earlier about would the media coverage fix it? And the second one about Evan's point to the challenges. I'll start with the challenges first. I think that they need to, I think Evan said this, but they need to branch out more. Every year you see the Big 12 SEC, you see Big 10 ACC, you see the Power 5 conferences competing it and that's it. Like, I think we need to get the American Athletic Conference in there. Like, get the AAC in. You get the Mountain West. You get the Pac-12. You get the you get the uh, Big East. You get some conferences that are more mid-major or group of five. Like, maybe they do one already. But if, I, if I'm, like, a really big college basketball fan and I don't know that this goes on and it does, that's a problem in and of itself. They have to, they have to promote that more. But then if you can get possibly, like, a Big 12 versus Mountain West challenge. Like, yeah, the Big 12 is probably going to smoke the Mountain West. But, like, that gets some of the Mountain West teams some exposure. Say you have a really good team that might be, like, a like a six seed. Or you might have, like, San Diego State this year. They're a five seed. Maybe they play Kansas. Sure, they might not play Kansas to the closest game. But you're going to have people that tune into that. Like, oh, hey, this might have some tournament impl- implications. But I think that they need to get that out there more and have 
just more diversity and just more quantity. I think that if you do two or three conference challenges a year, it's not really changing anything. I mean, you already played 15 some odd out of conference games. So what's the problem if you're just one of those games instead of playing UAB, you're playing just a conference tournament or a conference cross up or whatever. So then back to your point about Austin, about the uh, the media viewers, I think we're kind of something happened in the past that we're kind of seeing the uh, the consequences of that now. Back when UConn played Kentucky in 2014, they drew 21.2 million viewers, which is not bad, but it was down 10% from the year before that, back whenever they, I believe, were 6 and 17s playing in the championship. I think if you promote that game, like you see seeds like that, and you're like, oh, shit, this is like a truly no one expected it, what's going to win? Like you can promote that as a who, what's going to happen because that was a six-point game. Like you truly did not know what was going to happen when that game goes on. So then when you see teams playing in big uh, markets like that, big games, you bring you create fans that way. So UConn, nine years ago, they're playing the championship, win the game, you promote a little bit more, you get kids that are watching their first basketball games. You get kids or uh, adults that don't really know what they're doing. You get kids that are buying cups. If you promote that more, you might be like a some 10-year-old kid's like, oh, I don't really watch college basketball. Let me watch it, then. Let me watch it now. UConn wins the championship. I'm a UConn fan. Nine years down the road, UConn has a bigger fan base. They're playing in the championship again, and now it's not guaranteed that a team makes it. San Diego State makes the championship. They lose, so they try to promote San Diego State. There's no guarantee San Diego State ever makes it to the championship again. But I think that that's something – it's a marketing opportunity that you can't not capitalize on. Like, how are you going to be like, oh, this team made the championship, but who gives a shit? Like, it's probably not going to happen, but, like, what happens if it does? Then you have a team that's a sleeper making the tournament, and you no one knows anything about them year after year after year, and they just – don't get the recognition that they deserve. You laid out some really good points, but I, I know you were kind of cherry-picking information, but when you said UConn, I just, in my mind, I was like, oh, UConn's the problem. That's the reason why the viewership's down. Yeah. It's all your fault, Cole. My bad. It doesn't help that they're not a huge state. I mean, That's UConn true. doesn't, like Cole said, like just the, the population is not big, so you're not going to have a ton of people like outside of the area that are – UConn fans, and then San Diego State, you've got so many blue blood and historical programs in California. Like, what makes you just be like, you know what? The Aztec, that sounds like my team. Like, it's it's not something that a normal person is going to do. I say that as I live 10 hours away from West Virginia, and I'm a West Virginia fan, but. Everybody has that team, though. Yeah. But I think the biggest thing is it's unfortunate that there aren't more real sports fans. Mm -hmm. Everybody is tiktok and Instagrammed and all this kind of stuff, right? So if they're not seeing these people all the time in their face doing stupid crap or on highlight reels, they don't care. Yeah, those viral moments uh, really just bring attention. I mean, kind of with the women's championship, I started bringing that up a little bit, but Angel Reese doing You Can't See Me to Caitlin Clark, that was huge. It was all over Twitter, all over Instagram, SportsCenter TV. It was everywhere, and – this year with the women's tournament, the most watched women's game of all time was the South Carolina-Iowa Final Four game, which was then broken by the Iowa-LSU championship game, and that was a 102% increase in viewers from last year. So they doubled their viewers from the year before, and I think that is a great place to um, – I don't know how to say this, but – to continue building off of that base, I guess. You have some stars that you're starting to market. Angel Reese is going to be back another year. Paige Beckers is going to be back. Haley Van Lith entered the transfer portal. Uh, Caitlin Clark, obviously, huge megastar. I, I think that you need to just capitalize on them more. Like, on Instagram, I know that there are some accounts that will post. Like, Cole has a big problem with this. Barstool Sports never posts sports. 
you have House of Highlights that people call House of LeBron, House of Jokic, House of LaMelo. Like, they just only post the same players. I think if you diversify what they're posting, you get broader fan bases for certain players. Like, Caitlin Clark last year, I saw a stat line of a game of hers when she went crazy. I'm like, wow, this Caitlin Clark girl is pretty good, so I'm going to watch one of her games. I watch. She dominated. I'm like, holy shit, she is good. So I've been watching some Iowa games from last year. Like halfway through, I started watching a few. I watched a bunch of them this year. So I was kind of informed with the women's tournament going on because I saw someone do good and then someone highlighted their performance. So then it got me tuned in. I think that's the way they need to go. But sometimes it feels like great performances like that just fly under the radar and it's a travesty. I also think you need to keep having these personalities like Angel Reese basically talking her shit to Caitlin Clark and like showing off the ring. Like you need that and any sport, honestly. And I don't know if it's recency bias. Like, obviously, you have, you know, great women's basketball stars. But, like, this was the year I paid attention the most because you had these personalities talking their shit, and then they were backing it up on the court on the same night with 30, 35 points. I think that is so important. I think you're right. I think that is something they absolutely have to market for next year and the years going on. I, I, I think they need to all – both college basketball for women and men need to do what I – I'm going to call the Vince Carter effect. So, like, obviously, the 90s NBA exponentially took off. They used all – they started with Magic and Bird, right? And then they ended up basically just saying, we're just going to use our stars and get popular, and everybody's going to love us. So they got Jordan in. They got Barkley in. They got Shaq in. They got, like, Penny Hardaway. They got Malone. They got, like, all these massive name people and just branded them and franchised them. Vince Carter is one of my favorite players of all time. I will argue him into one of the top 50 players. Some people will have him outside the top 75. You can put him wherever you want. Really amazing, great player, but really only had a couple years and was really only relevant for a couple years. But because of the dunk contest he had and because of his just dunking ability, he became an absolute superstar, and everybody knows who Vince Carter is. I would say people – Big basketball fans know Tracy McGrady better than Vince because Tracy was probably better than Vince Carter. Average basketball fans probably don't really know who Tracy McGrady is. They probably know who Vince Carter is just because of that enormous ability to brand and franchise a person based off of highlights and exposure to just seeing him everywhere. Every time anybody watched greats, greatest basketball highlights of all time, they see Vince Carter dunking over a seven-footer, like not dunking on, dunking over, jumping over a seven-foot dude. So, like – like you said with Caitlin Clark, all of these media pages talked about Cla- Caitlin Clark a bit. Everybody's like, oh, okay, so she dropped 40 points in a game. Cool. I guess I'll watch her and see what she does next time. She drops 36 with 12 and 10 or something like that, and everybody's like, oh, my gosh, this chick's amazing. And so there's, like, stuff like that. So that's where with, like, the obviously women are starting to kind of figure that out, but the men basically only do it with their top dogs. And they need to really try and work on getting some of these other guys that are really good on smaller teams and just figure out a way to somehow market and franchise them a little bit better. And then before I'm done, if Caitlin Clark doesn't get, like, a signature shoe deal the minute she gets in out of, like, college, uh, something's wrong because she is going to literally make women's basketball for little girls be unbelievably different. I don't really watch women's basketball. Like, I started with Caitlin Clark. And I'm one million percent. The second Caitlin Clark is drafted, I am buying her jersey. If she gets a shoe deal, hell, I might buy some shoes down the road. I mean, I play a decent amount of pickup basketball, and I just got some shoes recently. But if I have any sort of need for basketball shoes and Caitlin Clark's 
Caitlin Clark has a signature line, you better bet your ass that I will buy those shoes. And what to your point, Evan, I think that one way to get more viewers to in men's outside of the top 15 teams and women's just really to that in general, you talked about ESPN. They talk about they have to cover every sport. You look at, uh, like I said, House of Highlights brought them up earlier. What's stopping all of these t- uh, accounts and mega brands from just kind of segmenting their profile where they have a House of Highlights NCAA basketball, House of Highlights NCAA football, House of Highlights women's basketball, or, or Sports Center women's basketball. Like they have ESPNW, and that's all women's sports. But say you get ESPN college basketball, and they start posting about the top 15 teams, which they already do, but then because it's only college basketball, you're not posting about the NFL or the MLB or MLS or NHL, all this other stuff. You post about the teams that might not get the recognition. You look at the women's tournament and the women's basketball. You promote that a little bit more. I think that that's going to get more eyes on it rather than just you posting one stat line randomly from a girl who goes crazy and then being like, okay, now we got to go back to NFL and all these other sports. If you get it dedicated to each specific sport or each specific brand, then I think that that's going to help tremendously because people are like, oh, I love House of Highlights. Let me just follow other pages. And then you have diehard fans that are like, I watch college basketball and I see a decent amount of it, but I could stand to see some more. Let me follow this account. I'll see everything college basketball. I'll see everything women's college basketball. You're going to see so much of it, and it's going to highlight so much more that deserves to be highlighted. I think the biggest way that they should do this, and I wa- so I watch PTI a lot. I love Kornheiser and Wilbon. Like, those two are OGs. They're class. They're phenomenal. They bring on Jay Billis a decent amount for their five good minutes section. He is a massive name in college basketball. Everybody knows he knows what he's talking about. And they always ask him about, like, one game, what they think, and then basically about one of the top five teams and what he thinks about them. If they need to start, every program needs to start bringing in guys like Dick Vitale, Jay Billis, those kinds of things, even if it's just for a couple minutes on SportsCenter, all across all the different platforms, and ask them, what are five under-the-radar teams? Just get their names out there. Put them out there. Let them talk about, hey, they got this really good guy that does this, that, and the other. Keep an eye on them. Get ready for them for the tournament. When people start making their brackets, everybody's going to be like, oh, Jay Billis mentioned to them. They're, he said that that's a team that might – like, obviously, everybody right before – as the brackets are being made, all the guys on the show are basically saying, oh, yeah, this is going to be my big upset. These guys have been great. Like, start doing that during the year so that people – might hear them during the year. Maybe they see that it's just on at 12 at night, and they're like, yeah, I guess I'll just turn this on. I heard someone saying this. All of a sudden, they watch them play once. Maybe they play a really cool game, and I'm like, huh, okay. So then now you get down the road. All of a sudden, maybe instead of caring about three teams going into the bracket, you care about 11 teams, or you at least want to see 11 teams play because you sort of watched them or you heard about them, and you just remember somebody saying, hey, keep an eye this team that might fly under the radar this year. And all of a sudden now – if someone did that with San Diego State at the beginning of the year, because I never heard anything about San Diego State at the beginning of the year. If they had been doing that, then I would have been like, huh, what if what if they beat Alabama? Because, like, everybody was saying that Charleston's going to be their massive upset and look out for Charleston. We had, we had all 12s yeah, winning yeah. in the first round. Yeah, so, and nobody had that, but maybe somebody, a bunch of people could have been like, what if they beat Alabama? And then they beat Alabama, and then all of a sudden San Diego State is the talk of the entire tournament alongside with UConn, who's dominating everybody, and it completely changes how people look at this bracket in this tournament. So, I don't know. That's one thing that I feel like they should try to implement a little bit more. And I think that fixes – I don't want to say completely fixes, but it it helps the whole media problem at the championship because if you have these two stories, you know, in the Sweet 16, you're obviously going to keep talking about them like, oh, 
you have a team that's beat Alabama. We've been talking about them all year long. And then you have UConn, who's just been dominating. You you combine those together at the championship, that absolutely fixes your problem or the problem that we had this year and could fix your problems as well. And if you have those big guys like Jay Bills, and he comes on, like Evan said, in January and is like, watch out for San Diego State. They're an under-the-radar team. They beat Alabama. Everyone loves a good callback. They love predictions that come true. Jay Billis calls, you know what, I think San Diego State's going to make a run. They end up making the Elite Eight, the Final Four, the championship. He can post that, like, look what I called. A lot of people follow Jay Billis. A lot of people see that, like, oh, okay, Jay Billis was right. And then that sets it up for next year where Jay Billis can start calling out these teams and then bring attention to that. I think another way that this could be used for all sports that are struggling in viewership. Cole, I think you and I have had a conversation about it before. What is stopping professional sports, or just any sports from that matter, from capitalizing on the viewership that you could gain from sports betting? I think college is scared because betting on kids is a difficult thing. Again, you said professional sports league, so like all that kind of stuff completely different, but at least in terms of college, that's a very, very touchy subject that you're – People are putting lump sums of money on kids, and it's like, I mean, kids are getting death threats for not performing well in games and that kind of, so, like, obviously, you don't really want to, as a professional athlete, you know it kind of comes with it. It happens a little bit to college guys, but with the explosion of sports betting, I think a lot of people are a little nervous and tentative about trying to exploit their product through gambling because it can also bring a lot of very bad detriment things. The, the simple answer, too, is just waiting for all the states to pass laws that allow it. That, that, is, that is technically the simple answer, but I, I think Evan brings up a, a good point. Uh, you know, I just lost my train of thought, so never mind. I think that you could possibly, like, if this gets legalized and you have a way to use this, I think one way that it could be used is, say, WNBA. You have partnered with the WNBA. You put sports books in some of the arenas. You have boosted odds on like a Tuesday night. Like, hell, I've got friends that will bet on Russian ping pong to stay up 2 in the morning just to watch some sports that they have some money on. I, I, you know damn good and well that they're watching ping pong. They'll stay up to watch some basketball. You put on women, the women's NBA, and you have a sports book in the arena, and they'll do an odds boost. Maybe like, oh, yeah, bet a three-leg parlay and get uh, – 1.25 times odds boost or something like that. Or you have a, a team that will partner with a specific sports book, and then it'll be like, this team scores 80 points in one game, get boosted odds on the over for their next game or something like that. You start putting money down, you get boosted odds. You're like, I got money in this game, let me tune in. I mean, you're not really going to create fans that way, but I think that once you get people involved in it, that's the most important part for marketing. You get people to be fans, and then you just slowly try to get them to build up that ladder and then they become more and more avid fans. But once you get those people in, it's their it's their first step. Then you can start capitalizing on getting that. Okay, pick your team. Okay, watch games more. Now the playoffs are on. Now you can. It just you slowly get up that ladder. So I guess my question with that, and this is obviously not something you would know. They'd have to the sports books would have to do a massive demographic check, and or I guess the pro teams would have to do a massive demographic check to see are the people that are kind of. Eh, sports fans the ones doing all the sports betting or is it the people that are real sports fans doing all the sports betting because unless you can somehow try and pick up the yeah i'll watch sports if it's on eh, there's a bit i guess i'll watch the super bowl like things like that if you try i guess if they're trying to get those people into betting then maybe it'd be profitable but just by trying to utilize the people that are sports betting to turn them into bigger fans i would 
question to think that all the people that are sports betting are already the people that already care about sports and watch it anyway. I yeah, that's a good point. But this was I mean, this was more when I was thinking of it, women's basketball, but they have a viewership problem and there are so many people that sports bet, so many people that watch sports, yet no one watches women's basketball. So I know that there probably aren't people that are putting on sports bets and have do not give a shit about sports because then you're just throwing money down. Like, at that point, you're playing games of chance. Go to the damn casino. Play the slots. But if you're interested in sports at all and you're sports betting and people give you odds boost or something like that or, like, a partnership and you start watching those games, then it's good. Like I, I said earlier, it's going to create the fans. But – there are so many people out there that already watch all these other sports but have not been have not had the door open to them to other sports that are available and high quality and those sports are just begging for people to watch. I think that you you asked that demographic and it's definitely one that where everyone's like, "Oh, they might think that that it's oh, it's a sportsman they're already watching sports." But women's basketball is begging for sports and you have a whole lot of people here who already watch sports and will watch the games they bet on. So I think they've definitely got room to just be like, I watch basketball. I watch women's sports. Let me watch women's basketball. Yeah, I, I don't really want to get into this, and this is an extremely touchy subject um, for a lot of people. And so hopefully the people listening to this don't get mad at me. I, I probably will not say what I mean, and it probably will come across worse. But women's basketball is always kind of going to be a problem because, one, the product, they're trying to play the same game as men which in a lot of sports is no big deal, but they can't do the things that a lot of the men can do in terms of, I mean, the, the biggest thing is dunking the basketball. Skill-wise, and I mean, I, I forget who the girl was. I don't. It might have been like Sue Berg or so, somebody was saying, if you put me up in like a three-point shooting contest or a skills competition or anything like that, I feel like I could hold my own against practically any guy in the NBA. If you play me one-on-one, I'm going to lose to the worst guy in the NBA because he is just so much bigger and stronger and more athletic. It's just you just can't handle that necessarily. And a lot of their problem also in terms of why people they're really struggling with a fan base is that they can't produce enough players because little girls, they'll play basketball as they're growing up. It is what it is, whatever, whatever. But they die out of the sport because they end up moving on to either track because they're really fast volleyball because volleyball i would again this is where it's controversial volleyball is more of a glamour sport you see a lot especially like when you look at like beach volleyball things like that that's usually where the more glamorous women play football you have like the bikini league or whatever so that's irrelevant but i mean you you look at a lot of those kinds of sports there's a lot of different people playing different stuff um and then like but you could talk about sports like tennis serena williams everybody watches her because she does everything that guys do Maybe if she played, like, Roger Federer one-on-one, she'd get smoked. We don't really know. I've heard from some people saying that if she was playing – if Serena at her peak played in a men's league, she would have maybe cracked the top 100, which is insane. But at the same time, when you're watching her play tennis, you're watching phenomenal tennis. If I'm not mistaken, when Serena was number one in the world, she played, like, the 200th-ranked man in the world and got swept. Okay, so, so again, but when you watch her play that sport – you can't tell that there's a big skill gap or that there's an athleticism gap because it's you don't you can't, you just can't tell by seeing it or whatever. And so that's where with girls basketball it's so hard because athletically they can't do the things that men are doing, so it's it's not looked upon as necessarily an enjoyable sport. 
And then again, going back to, I mean, in an age of body image and self-image and all that kind of stuff, to be a women's basketball player, you usually have to thicken up and build a lot of muscle and kind of transform your body into a different type of body that women don't want to look like. And so obviously, I mean, there's some people like Candace Parker is a very, still looks very feminine, quote unquote, I guess you could say, and is still extremely strong and dominant. But there are a lot of girls, you look at, what was the girl's name on LSU? I forget her name, but she was short and stocky and built, and she was a phenomenal player and a great player and a great piece for their team. But a lot of girls probably watching that were like, oh, I don't want to look like that. So that's where I think a lot of their problem stems from, that they can't grow their fan base out of young girls because they can only get so many young girls that will fall in love with basketball. I think the fact that we have so many stars in women's college basketball right now that are going to be playing in the WNBA shortly is huge because when you look at it, like the WNBA was formed probably 25 years ago. Like it's not, it's not been around long whatsoever. So the amount of superstars that have been there and have been household names are few and far between. You start like those girls I named off earlier, they start getting to the league. You're going to have those positive role models. Like Evan said, you have girls that are getting out of basketball quickly. If you have Caitlin Clark in the WNBA, you have Paige Beckers, you have Haley Van Lith, Angel Reese, you have all these people. You, they're going to start getting into basketball more. They're going to be like, 10 years ago, people were watching WNBA like, I don't know any of these people, and they have no one to look up to, no one that – because whenever I was a kid, I'm like, I'm going to be like LeBron James. I'm going to be like uh, – trying to think of a quarterback off the top of my head. I'm going to be like Peyton Manning, like all that shit like that. But as a, as a little girl, you're not – I mean, I wasn't a little girl, so I mean, I'm, I can't like say exactly what they're thinking. Would, would you honestly say like the only one would be Serena Williams or Venus Williams? I mean, I don't – I don't know. I don't like know if there's really anyone that was. Yeah. I don't know if there's anyone that was really on that level though. Like when you think of women's athletes, though, like if you ask people to name like their like the top three women athletes that come to their minds, Venus and Serena, I feel like have got to be one and two. Yeah. I'm like like I'm just trying to think back when I was like middle school. Like I could tell you so many phenomenal male athletes, and I I knew like obviously Serena and Venus Williams were amazing. I could tell you like Alex Morgan, Abby Wambach from soccer. Um, I'm forgetting the names, but the two sand volleyball girls that, like, destroyed everybody for however long they won three gold medals, those two were phenomenal. I could, like, Tamika Catchings, I knew who that was. Like, I knew a lot of those kinds of people. Uh, Cheryl Swoops, um, Cheryl Miller. Like, I could tell you WMEA players. I could ask every single girl in my middle school if they knew who any of those people were, and they would say no. And it's like it's not a slight towards women's sports no, at it's all. Not. It's it's li- it, I hate to say it. It's kind of the facts. Like it, it they're in a tough position. Mm-hmm. And I, I Troy's right. I think you absolutely like if you're the WNBA, capitalize on these players that are coming to your league. Absolutely, you need to get that growth asap to get these uh, young girls getting interested in basketball again and actually sticking with it. Mm-hmm. So they need to make it cool. They really they, like that was the one thing that with basketball at least like ne- this like from a demographic wise like AI kind of did a different thing for basketball and kind of brought it into a different type of culture and made it really popular. Obviously, it boomed in the '90s, but then it transformed and brought in a whole new demographic with Allen Iverson. Women's basketball has to do the same kind of thing where they're not just getting the girls that their dads wanted them to play basketball, so they played basketball for however long, and that's the only reason they know about these things. They need to somehow, and I think social media could be a huge boost for this, is they basically just have to figure out how to turn these young stars into extreme popular superstars. Obviously, they'll probably never get to the point of like a LeBron or a Steph, 
but enough to where these young girls will at least see them constantly and then hopefully idolize them into wanting to play like that and be like that and be able to do those kinds of things. So do you you brought up Steph. Do you think that the way Steph has changed basketball as a whole was a good thing for women's basketball? Because you talked about how before that it was a lot of athleticism, a lot of dunks, but now you see people like Caitlin Clark plays very similarly to Steph Curry, and then you watch Caitlin Clark, you're like, holy shit, she is good. So Caitlin Clark becomes a superstar. Little girls start to look up to her. They start to play basketball like her. Three-pointers become cool. And then that's, like you said, that's where people like, it's cool to play basketball then. People are like, okay, I'm going to get into this. Steph Curry kind of paved that way, though. No? Like, is anyone disagreeing with that? No. No. The only thing I can say in that scenario, though, is, like, obviously Steph going off for 40 points, hitting 10 threes. Everybody's like, oh, that's awesome. That's Steph. The majority of the league still, though, or the, the, the guys are still the guys that are throwing down posters on people. Or at least beyond the main stars. The the only other people that get, like, I think of, like, Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin was never really an insane star. I mean, you could kind of even make the case for Dwight Howard at one point, like kind of guys like that, that weren't those top dogs up there with LeBron, Kobe, all them. But because they could do these insane athleticism things, they got publicized because of that. Whereas you look at, like, a Kyle Korver, like, I mean, I, I compare, like, Vince or Blake Griffin and Kyle Korver. Obviously, Blake Griffin was a much better basketball player, but each of them had a niche. Blake Griffin was not really a defender. He was literally just a lob dunk rebounding threat. Kyle Korver was one of the greatest three-point shooters of all time. If I walked out on the street and asked people who was better or even which of these two guys do you know, they're going to say Blake Griffin. I don't know, though. I mean, Jokic just won MVP two years in a row, and fuck, I'm built like Nikola Jokic. Like, shit, this guy runs like the fifth grader who went through his awkward growing phase, and they're like, he's still trying to grow into his body. Like, this guy looks uncoordinated as hell. Luka Doncic is the next up-and-coming superstar. He are, Hell, he already is a superstar. And they're probably, if you pull the league, they're probably bottom 10th percentile in athleticism. And they're two of the most well-known best players in the NBA right now. I think that the game is changing, and it's going to allow for a lot more different types of players to be good. But the thing is, you just named two overseas foreign guys. That's where I feel like that's a lot of their popularity too, though. That's fair, but I mean, hell, foreign foreign players are growing in popularity. If you look at the top three best players in the NBA right now, like there is an argument that the top three are all foreign, though being those two and Giannis. And then and and Embiid. And Embiid, shit, Embiid's probably gonna win the MVP this year. Yeah, Embiid's probably the best. So to that point, though, I will say if you look, the the best players that aren't the athletic dudes are absolutely insane at everything else. And so that's where, obviously, like, if you, you got to, like, even young people can figure this out. Oh, I don't – I'm not the most athletic guy on the team, and I can see that these guys are having success, but there's so few of them. There's just, there's just not, like, a lot of – you. Be, unless, if you don't want to absolutely be an absolute skills stud without athleticism, you're going to end up being like a Tyler Hansborough, where you just, you just have to be a big dude which is also getting phased out of the NBA. Or you have to be extremely, extremely active on defense and extremely loud mouth. Like, I'm thinking you got to be like a Pat Bev or or like a Dylan Brooks or a Jose Alvarado. Like, dudes that do just play play defense and then are super fucking mouthy about it. So that way you see them on social media. You see them tr- talking trash in these games, getting teed up all the time. That's Those are the types of guys that get that notoriety. But like I – 
I, to Evan's point, I mean, he's not wrong. You have Lukic, or, uh, Jokic and Luka, they're the top two players in the league. After that, there's a drop-off. No one else plays like them, and people know who they are. To your point about Dylan Brooks and Pat Bev, does the NBA want to prioritize being like those two kinds of guys? Because I'm not going to lie, you go – I worked at a basketball facility and watched a lot of elementary school basketball, and these kids are complaining and whining and pushing each other and talking crap and all this kind of stuff, and they're not even trying. They're, like, out there just to shoot threes and not care about any other aspect of the game but trying to either, A, look cool or, B, complain because they didn't get their way. So that's where I'm worried that, that I guess the integrity of basketball would be in trouble if you started prioritizing well, if you can't be one of these good guys, just be an absolute menace that nobody likes and you're just kind of a bitch on the court. So that's also not really a good thing. You need to have a couple of them. You need to have Draymond Greens. You need to have guys like that. You need to have Bill Lambeers, although he was still super talented. But you need to have guys like that. But if the whole – you're kind of seeing it now. If the whole league kind of turns into a bunch of bitches, eventually, obviously it's not showing this year. They had, like, record ticket sales. But at some point, it's going to hurt the basketball. And I'm not going to lie – I watched the Heat-Hawks game. The Heat, honestly, I mean, the Hawks won, but it's because of how bad of basketball was being played. It looked horrible. The Timberwolves-Lakers game was a little bit better, but that Hawks-Heat game, there was no defense played at all. Like, every the Hawks scored a bunch of points and won because they basically, one guy was wide open on every single play. And it wasn't even, like, drive and kick stuff. It was just messed up defensive rotations, guys gambling for steals. It was, like, just horrible, no fundamentals, the most non-Eric Spolstra coach team thing in the world. Like, Udonis Haslam's on the bench, like, about ready to kill somebody. Like, it was it was so bad. I feel like the games yesterday are really going against the argument of having play-in teams yeah, because it, they were not great yesterday. horrible basketball. Like, I didn't watch any of it because I'm not an NBA fan, but, like, Twitter was telling me enough about how – I mean, I saw that the Timberwolves had a lead and then – they just decided to stop playing offense for the last half. And so I, ha- I have theories in both games. First theory was the Heat just aren't that good. Jimmy Butler is very good, but he's kind. I feel like he's maybe just getting tired of trying to carry this team because Spolstra, I feel like, has kind of lost the team, which is very weird, especially an organization owned by Pat Riley. But they just – it's a weird Heat team. It's built weird. But, again, that's kind of not really the point. The Hawks – are just what the Hawks do. They don't care about anything. They're just going to go out there and try and outscore you and do whatever and look flashy, and sometimes they win, sometimes they don't. It is what it is. In terms of the other game, at first I thought the Lakers were throwing because they wanted to play Denver and not Memphis, and then I think the Timberwolves were like, oh, crap, we're going to have to play Memphis if we win this game. We don't want to play Memphis because they just beat us last year, and we're not as good as we were last year, and they're better than they were last year. So let's go play Denver instead, who hasn't done anything in the playoffs. So I'm, I'm almost wondering if there's a little bit of let's just throw this game. Because they have to play who? The winner of the Pelicans and the Jazz or something? Is that who it is out west? Pelicans and Thunder. Thunder? Yeah. Two horrible teams. Yeah. Like, those are just awful basketball teams. So I, I'm almost wondering between those games – I mean, maybe both teams just didn't really play that great. Obviously, the Timberwolves were down two important pieces, but I'm wondering if they were kind of like, hmm, we kind of can choose who we play. And I would rather play Denver because, yeah, you got Jokic. Jamal Murray is not the same Jamal Murray. Michael Porter Jr. will probably have some weird back thing happen, and he won't play. Aaron Gordon's not really that good at basketball. Like, 
I would totally – I mean, their own coach is calling them soft left and right, so I would rather play Denver than Memphis because once Jaw turns on playoff Jaw, especially for the Timberwolves who have no defensive guards, that's a problem. You play the Nuggets, all you got to do, uh, all you got to do is wait for Michael Porter Jr. to get the ball and then send all five guys at him because you know damn good well he's not passing that rock. <laughs> Dude, dude's career high in assists is probably one. This dude catches the ball and shoots ball. He sees nothing but the rim when he's out on the court. It's kind of funny watching like the TikTok highlights though. That that does crack me up. But on to uh, we talked basketball for a long time, but this past weekend. Can I, I'm sorry. Yes. I, I just really want to talk about the AD play yesterday Okay. and fouling. I mean, look, there's a reason I'm here in Evansville and he's on the court making millions of money, so I can't really say anything. Why the hell are you fouling on a three-point play? I know there's a lot going on. You have testosterone. You have adrenaline going on. Like, There's a lot in play. But just by watching the shot, again, different view. He's on the court. I'm watching from a screen. That shot was nowhere. Like That wasn't going in yeah. 100 times so out of 100. Two things. One, Mike Conley was like seven for eight from three or something. So y- you have to contest and jump a little bit because the guy literally is not like the last thing I thought that was going to happen was him to hit the corner of the backboard, which is what happened. That was the I expected him to make it more than I expected that to happen. Two, it, when you're playing, it's really hard, especially now with this new landing zone thing. Like you. It, he technically landed right next to them, foot to foot. He didn't actually, like, I don't think his foot was under Mike Conley's foot. He, I, I couldn't really tell if he kind of ran into him afterwards a little bit, but he kind of came in at an angle. I would have made the exact same jumping play to try and block it, but I'm not seven feet tall so and lanky, so it's it's just unfortunate, I guess. Like, obviously – the rule is do not ever foul a three-point shooter because you just made their odds of scoring three points like skyrocket to like 75% instead of like a 33%. So it's 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 really tough like you you can't foul there obviously, but you have to contest so it's it's a really difficult thing. It's and sometimes if it's like maybe he like completely thought he had more than enough space to land not hit him but adrenaline kicked in because it's the end of the game, and all of a sudden he got a little extra muscular motivation and jumped a little bit farther than he thought. I don't, I don't, it's, it's really tough. And I, as somebody who cares about basketball fundamentals, I'm always like, why did you foul a three-point shooter? You idiot. You are so stupid. You can't do that. Like, but from a person that also loves playing basketball and has felt those weird spurts of extra adrenaline and emotion and that kind of stuff, sometimes it's kind of like – at least he tried. Yeah. At least he jumped at him. Like, there's sometimes when guys go up and take a charge, that's like a stupid idea. Like, the guy's coming in clearly at an angle. There's no way you're going to be able to take a charge. You get a dumb blocking foul for your sixth foul. Now you have to sit down, can't help your team. Or, like, Carl Anthony Towns, there was one where he, like, tried to block out AD. AD slipped around him. The rebound was going away from both of them. AD kind of ducked his shoulder down to about Cat's waist, and Cat just put both arms in his shoulder and pushed him onto the ground, got a stupid foul call, and got sent to the bit. It's like stuff like that that you're like, what are you doing? But at the same time, it's really hard not to think about doing some of those stupid, looking back, stupid things in the moment. Like I'm not, like I said, I'm not questioning the heart, the hustle. Like I think it was, you're right, and it was it was the right play. It's just, I don't know. It just you saw the shot again. Maybe you didn't. Maybe maybe adrenaline is blinding. You like, oh, this person's taking a shot. I gotta stop him. Maybe that's what that, that that's what it comes down to. I just, 
I, it was such a bad angle. I also think he thinks he can block every shot, which he blocks a buttload of shots that he probably he blocked like three floaters. Floaters are the move they teach you as kids. You can't get blocked when you shoot a floater, and he blocked three of them last night. So when like maybe he just felt like he did have the angle to actually maybe just get a finger on it or at least be a seven-foot human running at another six-foot human shooting a three. Like, there's all those kinds of things on top of it. Um, I don't want to defend him because that was an incredibly stupid thing, and it almost cost him a game, and you can't foul a three-point shooter, especially at the end of the game. But I don't know. It just just so weird. The uh, I guess my real answer, the Lakers are very unfundamental. They do a lot of dumb crap. LeBron was literally just like running into the paint and just throwing the ball over his shoulder, and it just lands in a Memphis or a Minnesota guy's hands. Like, they're Darvin Ham. I think is probably a great coach. He's probably the worst coach for the Lakers because a he's new, and b he's playing with a or coaching a bunch of veterans that know how to play, don't really need a coach, and aren't going to listen to anything he says anyway. Sorry, Trey. I just want to talk about that yeah. before we moved on. That's fair. Production note, this happened uh, in an earlier episode, but file size too large. We're splitting this into two episodes. So episode four and a half will be out approximately five minutes after this one. Appreciate you guys listening and sticking with us.